Many want to ask, what, you guys know what the theme of this retreat is about? Trinity. The Trinity. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, Anthony made a good point. Why don't we just have three sessions? And then I made a good point. Yeah, if it's three sessions, that means I'm already done sermon prepping for, for Sunday. Right? But then, because it's just perfectly aligned Trinity. But I thought it would be good just go over four point of the Trinity. But to me, it's to, uh, this weekend, it's not just only about the Trinity, but it's actually about the Trinity and the Christian life. Okay? So, Trinity and what? The Christian life, okay? So, it's not going to be a whole session of all the verses proving the Trinity, just so you could argue that your neighborhood, your friendly neighborhood JW, or Jehovah Witnesses, or Mormons, okay? This will be the first hour to establish that. But then I actually want to show with that, okay? So, just for you guys to know, um, just for you guys to know, uh, these are going to be the session. The first hour, our first session, will be looking at the Trinity, okay? That it is biblical, okay? Uh, that it is biblical, okay? Second thing is we're going to see the second session is recognition and the Trinity, okay? Uh, I want to look at the aspect of uh, how many of us struggle with recognition, maybe at work, right? Maybe some of us feel like, okay, uh, in our family, we never get noticed for any good things we do. Um, and yeah, we're going to look at the Trinity because I think when you see the relationship of the Trinity, I think at least for myself, it's helpful to deal with the problem of what? Recognition, okay? Is that a practical problem people face? Okay. Right, you guys ever had a boss that never noticed all the good you do? You do 51% of the work and yet they don't notice, so that kind of thing, okay? So recognition and trinity. The third session is about submission and the trinity, okay? Uh, is submission practical? Are we called to submit as Christians in our daily life? Yes, right? Not just wives, okay? Not just wives, but also men as well. At work, yes? Uh, to our family members, our parents, and our moms, right? Uh, we live with them, uh, and I also think there's a sense we still honor them even when we uh, have our own family, okay? And also the idea also is well submission even with what? With manners of government and also the local church, okay? So is submission a practical issue? Okay, I think as you look at the inner Trinitarian relationship, that is the relationship with the members of the Trinity, it also helps us with the area of life with the issue of submission, and finally, I want to look at the theme of unity, okay? Uh, how many of us know that it is biblical to, be, to have unity in a church? Okay? Uh, but oftentimes, the way people often think of unity is seeking the lowest common what? Denominator, okay? But uh, we're going to see in the teaching of Jesus, the way we seek unity is not the lowest common denominator per se, but actually is to have what? More sound what? Doctrines, Okay? And this, one of the doctrine that is actually helpful for unity is what? The doctrine of, the doctrine of, oh man, my second point got printed out weird. Yeah, the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? We'll be looking at that, okay? So all those things, do you guys think is practical? We, it will be very theological, but I think the purpose today is usually, um, I, I think actually for me, it's one of the saddest things in the world is that if the Trinity is true, we sometimes think the only application of the Trinity is often talking about what? Apologetics and defending it from who? From the, uh, the people that are cults, okay? So to make it interactive, just to let you guys know, you guys look at the board over there, okay? This is where the kids are going to be involved. You guys see who are uh, the member of the Trinity, okay? Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? Okay. You can be the man yeah, you could be the, yeah, Vanna White, we need one, okay? Because you'll tell them to place, you know. So what we're going to do, uh, this is where Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, and also Emily, 
and Timothy will maybe help if you guys wanted to, if you, if you guys, the parents told him to, okay? Yeah. We would tape up each attributes, okay? So under the Father, or actually I should have had that as God, okay? Okay, so each one of them is, okay? By the way, we're going to just call, just imagine instead of Father, just says God, okay? Uh, the Father has these attributes, but for the sake of time, I thought it would be easier, okay? Uh, just to focus on God, okay? I, yeah, could we have it? Right on the wall yeah. Real quick. No. yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, yes. Right on the wall, yes, right on the wall. <laughs> Make it permanent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just put God. You could put God slash Father. Okay, so to first begin with, with anything, we begin with the definition of Trinity. What is the definition of Trinity? <laughs> Three in one, okay? Three persons in one. Yeah, distinct persons, okay? Uh, Co-eternally existing in one God. So if you're taking notes, the Trinity is what? Three distinct, co-eternal, that is, they all existed from eternity, in one being called God, okay? That's the definition, okay? Uh, I love what Eric says, okay? Because there is some threeness, and yet oneness in God, okay? The word persons and the word being does not appear in the scripture. The Bible never defines the Trinity in that term. Like, okay, three persons and one being. Those terms were actually more in the church history. During the 3rd century uh, on to the 6th century. From what is called the Council of Nicaea, during the discussion before that. And also all the way up to Chalcedon, okay? Where they discuss, how did you find this threeness? What do you call this threeness with, uh, within God? And what do you call this oneness, okay? So then they debate it because if you read certain time period before they standardize the term, they actually use person for the one being, okay? But there's some threeness in one, okay? By the way, with every dis- uh, all discussion, uh, all of this, after we'll also have discussion that's not recorded, okay? So for people's privacy, okay? Uh, so we would, or not privacy, but you know, your, you know, if it's embarrassing questions or discussions, that's good, but you know, it's, you know, it, it won't be recorded, that kind of thing, okay? So there's uh, with that, okay? And by the way, let me uh, say this real quick. Sometimes you hear the analogy of the Trinity is like, a, uh, not leprechauns. What do you call those things? Shamrocks, Sham- 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 okay? Shamrock has how many sides? Three. And they'll say, see, there's three and there's one, okay? Uh, I think that they're trying to really do that, but I actually think it was not fully biblical. I think you guys were talking about earlier, like chopping someone's hands and then three hands in one hand, right? Hey, there's hand, right? This is hand, 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 right? Um, but I actually think there's a, uh, so there's another doctrine that's very important, okay? And don't let the name fools you, okay? There's a doctrine in the Bible that, uh, that often people don't talk about called divine simplicity. You guys ever heard of divine simplicity? Uh, anyone read up about divine simplicity? Okay, so don't say, oh, simplicity. Oh, I know what that means. That means God is simple, okay? Just the same way you cannot go by butterflies, okay? What's a butterfly? Oh, I know what it is. It's a fly that's very buttery, right? Or a butter that's just floating in the air. No, you cannot uh, reduce that way, okay? Divine simplicity is actually probably one of the most abstract doctrine according to God. And basically what it means is not to say that God is easy to understand, okay? That's not what it means, okay? Say this after me. Divine simplicity... Does not mean easy to understand, okay? It's actually one of the hardest doctrines, I think, to understand or to get in mind. Basically, divine simplicity means God is not made out of parts, okay? The components that makes him less than what? Uh, God, okay? Maybe an example is salt. Chemically, for I need some biochem major, 
Chemically, what is the uh, what is salt? Sodium chloride, NaCl. Okay, NaCl. Okay, good. Okay, so but you cannot say it's. Uh, oh, maybe there's another one is. Uh, okay, just because uh, when you break it down, just because it's these the different element does not mean what you separate. It's still salt. Does that make sense? It's just now when you break it down, its parts. It's no longer what salt. Okay, so what is saying to divine simplicity is to say this is not the way God is. Okay, God has many attributes, right? Yes? What are some of the attributes? Talk to me, guys. What are some of the attributes? Huh? He's sovereign, okay. Yeah, that's good, okay. But when you break it down, it's not as if God has different parts. It's like, oh, this part is love. All of this is... When we say God is love, we're saying the whole totality of His being. Reflect that. Does that make sense? Uh, and nor does it just... Basically, God, you just slap on some attributes, okay? He is God fully, okay? I think that's important to realize is because the Trinity actually presupposes divine simplicity, Okay? What I mean by that is, when you see Jesus Christ, is He fully God? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Is He one-third God? No, okay. So when Jesus Christ so gives statements that He's fully what? God. He's, there's a divine simplicity that's going on, okay. Uh, Victor, you, you've heard of divine simplicity, maybe from your reading of, okay. When, even most systematic theology for introduction level is very uh, short discussion, okay. So, but you need to presuppose that, okay. Because is the God the Father God. Is He fully God or is He just only one-third of a God? We wouldn't say, oh, he's one-third, and then the other one, one-third, one-third, one-third. Yes, there's three person, but each one of those person is what? Fully what? God. God, okay? But there's no being like it. That's why it's very hard to give any analogy, okay? So I understand those people that use the uh, hand analogy. Uh, uh, I think the most common one is the uh, leprechaun, not leprechaun, we call it, um, <laughs> shamrock, okay? Uh, analogy, okay? So none of those really fully adequately work, because there's only one, there's only, in this whole world, there's only one being that's, Three person, okay? Other being is what? One being is one per- person, okay? But only with that. And what I mean by a person is there's a center for will and volition and emotions, okay? Because uh, the Father, is He the Holy Spirit? No, okay? Is the Son uh, the Father? No. How do we know He's not? It's because when Jesus Christ prayed, who did He pray to? He didn't pray to Himself. He prayed to who? God the Father. And yet that uh, Father is fully God and all that, okay? So this is the part where I need the kids' attention, okay? So is, do we, uh, let me ask you guys this question. From your parents' teaching, is Jesus Christ God? Yes, okay. Is the Holy Spirit God? Emily, He's God, yes? Okay. So we're going to, the way we prove that is go by the Bible to say certain things that God is like. Now, Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah. Any of you guys, could you guys tell me, what are some attributes of God? What is some character of God? What is God like? What are some things about God? Love is one, right? What else? Any other attributes or characteristics? Grace, okay, yeah, okay. If they have grace, okay. There's different passages. Christ is full of what? Grace. The Holy Spirit is full of grace, okay. Uh, What other characteristics of God? What is God like, Emily? What did your daddy teach on uh, yesterday at chapel? God does not change, okay? Do we change? Yes. Yes. Emmeline, you look different than a year ago. Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, you look different than five years ago, okay? So all of that is to say we change, but God does not change, okay? So let's look at some of the characters of God. The first one is going to be why we know Father, why we know they are God is because they're called God, okay? By the way, right? God is God. Yes? So if it's used, we know He's God, okay? But is there proof that the Father is God? 
Is there proof? Yes, okay. Turn with me real quick uh, to Ephesians 1.3, which is, Lord willing, please really pray for me. Lord willing, <laughs> that will be a sermon tomorrow, okay? Ephesians 1.3. Let's turn over there to Ephesians 1.3. Uh, Ephesians 1.3. Could I have a happy, motivated reader read that out loud? For, actually, we're going to go around clockwise. Noel, you want to begin for us? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Use big boy and big girl voice, yeah? Okay. I catch my breath and drink my tea. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay. Who's the subject of verse 3? God the Father. God the Father, okay? And he stated very clearly is God the Father. Okay? Hello, Jean. Okay? So, Jean, you can sit right here next to uh, uh, Julie. Okay, hi. Okay. Do you want breakfast? Okay. Okay. So, uh, now I'm going to have a volunteer between Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, and also Timothy if he wants to, okay? Who wants to... So, Ephesians 1, 3 shows uh, God is what? God, okay? Any volunteer uh, to put up the first tape where it says called God next to God the Father? Okay, Rebecca, thank you. If you could get called... God, you guys can come. So each one of you girls are going to put it one next to each other. Okay, Rebecca, have your hand. One, two, three. Okay? And then on the bottom part, don't put it all over, okay? Don't be like, call God, call God, call you know, all that, okay? Just one next to each other. You want to put it right there? Don't worry, there's a lot to go. Okay, okay so do we prove that God the Father is God? Yes, yes because he's called what? God. God, okay? So... With that, uh, let's go on to the next one. Okay, by the way, there's four points for this hour. I didn't mention this, okay? We're going to look at four characteristics of God, okay? If you're taking notes, these are the characteristics. Number one, uh, called God. So proof number one is they're called God, okay? Proof number one is called God, okay? Proof number two is creator. Creator, Okay? Creator. Proof number three is all present, okay? All present, okay? All present. And proof number four, power of resurrection. Power of resurrection, okay? Well, basically, point number four is to say, who caused Christ to be resurrected? And before you answer, Scripture actually says, it's more complicated than just God, okay? Uh, with that, okay? Well, actually, it's proof that the Trinity is real, okay? So, in light of this, point number one is what proof one is called God, okay? For Virginia, you just came in. We're looking at the Trinity for this retreat, and also what? The, for the Christian life, also as well, okay? Uh, it will be very theological, but I hope also very practical, okay? Or devotional. Uh, point number one is called God, okay? So, we already proved that uh, God the Father is uh, called God, okay? Anyone need to repeat those four points? Okay? Uh, so, pr- proof number one. So now we go, uh, who's the next person, girls? Uh, uh, up there, God the Father. Next one is who? Anyone want to read that for me? Son, okay? This is not any son. This is not Timothy we're talking about. We're talking about God the <laughs> Son, okay? Jesus, what? Christ, okay? So, are there verses that Jesus Christ is called God? Turn with me to John chapter 20, verse 28. John chapter 20, verse 28. 
Julie, would you be able to read that verse for us in big girl voice? John chapter 20, verse 28. <laughs> John 20? Yeah. John 20, verse 28. John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Okay, good, okay. In the context, this is after Jesus Christ has been resurrected. I think literally in the Greek... Now, in this verse... Jehovah Witnesses, you use this to say, hey, he's called God. You know what they say? They say, oh, no, it's just Thomas is just being surprised. But if Thomas just said that, that's actually using his name in what? Vain. Oh, man, I want another retreat where we go over different attributes of God, uh, including the attribute of calling God's name in vain. It's actually a lot of times people don't understand this presupposition of God's grace already, what that name does, before Exodus 20 happened, okay? But anyways, that's another sermon another time. But here we see here, okay? A little in the Greek is the Lord of me and the God of me, okay? Uh, so Jesus Christ is called God by who? Thomas. By Thomas, okay? And by the way, if he was uttering blasphemy, using his name in vain, do you think Jesus Christ would have corrected him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Jesus Christ is not immune to correcting his what? Disciples. Disciples, okay? So John chapter 20, 28, is Jesus Christ called God? The answer is yes, okay? Turn with me also as well to Titus 2.13. Titus 2.13, okay? This is one that perhaps not as often brought up uh, when people argue. By the way, in my own defense with the Trinity, I like to use verses that other Christians don't use. You know why? Because whenever Jehovah Witnesses meet a Christian, what is the number one verse that Christians are pulled that Jesus Christ is God? John what? 1.1, one, one, okay? John 1, 1, okay? So I like to use another verse just to make them realize, hey. And by the way, they always have a memorized mimic, uh, gimmick thing of how to respond to that. But then sometimes other verses you show them, hey, there's other verses you didn't what? Consider, okay? Titus 2.13. When we turn there, Jeannie and big girl voice, would you be able to read Titus 2.13? Titus 2.13, huh? Okay. Titus 2.13. Next to Second Timothy. Two thirteen. Yes. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. So it, at first you look at it. Some JW or some people say no, they're two different persons, God and Savior. Okay. Uh, I don't have time to go over Greek grammar. Do you guys remember when we went through Ephesians one three, our very first one? God the Father. Literally in the Greek is God and Father. Of Jesus Christ, okay? And in that uh, Greek rule, the rule over there is saying this is not two person, but these are two characteristics of the same person. In other words, this person, Jesus Christ, the subject, is what? Both what? God and what? Savior, okay? So is Jesus Christ called God? Yes, he is, okay? Um, in the Greek uh, rule, th- there's an article plus subject. A nominative, if you remember your Greek, and, and in a chi plus subject, that's saying it's same person, okay? If you put two articles, then there's different individuals, two persons. But here it's very clear, grammatically, it is one person. Who's this subject? G- what? Jesus Christ. And he's called what? Savior? No one disputes that. And what else? It is God, okay? By the way, one of the songs we just sang is very Trinitarian. What's that song about Savior? My Savior, my God. My Savior, my what? God, okay? By the way, for Ephesians, as we go over on Sunday in the next few weeks, you're going to see that salvation. 
We often think it's a work of one person. We often think the work of the salvation is the work of which person? It's Jesus Christ. But is salvation only the work of what? Jesus Christ. What do you guys think? It's the work of who? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. Unfortunately, a lot of times in American Christianity, most people are not Reformed. They deny the work of God the Father. You guys remember when in the work of God the Father is what? Pre what? Destination. Okay. Then we make it, it's, oh no, God is just, the Father is just reacting to man, okay? So you're saying that the Son takes initiative, the Holy Spirit versus take initiative, right? He regenerates us, He came to die for us, He loves us before, but then all of a sudden God the Father really doesn't do any work, except wait for us to react first, and then He reacts. I would say no, right? Uh, so each one, member of the Trinity uh, is involved with our salvation, okay? Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, hopefully this Sunday, Tomorrow we will go over that, okay? So, is Jesus Christ called God? What are the two verses we've seen? What is one verse? Titus 2.13. Any other verse? John 20.28, okay? So, now we could... Could we put another uh, paper there under the sun? Is it biblical to say He's called God? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay? So, do I have another volunteer among the kids? Okay, Abigail, could you get a paper... And then put it underneath the sun, but parallel. The same height as uh, uh, next to the one. Yes. Okay. Do you guys see that? Okay, girls. Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, Emily. And Timothy, if you want to pay attention, right? Uh, so it's all there. Okay, so we'll parallel that. Okay. So the next one is Holy Spirit next to it. Okay. Uh, with that. Okay. So uh, next one is, is the Holy Spirit called God? Could you guys think of a verse that he's called God? Turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 3, okay? Acts chapter 5, verse 3. And then, uh, Noel, could you read that in big girl voice for all of us to hear? I should say lady voice, right? Okay. Okay. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I'm not implying anyone's size. Being, I'm sorry. Oh. I didn't. Okay. Oh, three strikes, right? On the session on the Trinity. Okay, go ahead. Uh, five, verse three. Yes. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Okay, thank you. Who did, uh, in the context, Ananias to Friar, if you guys remember, they were donating things, they kept some of it back. They could have kept some of it, but then they went around lying, saying, oh, we gave it all to God. And then everyone said, whoa, He is holy, right? The, this cup was holy. And then God, or through Peter, says what? You have lied to who? According to verse 3. Holy, holy Spirit. Spirit. Then let's look at verses 4. Rebecca, could you read verses 4? In big girl voice. Uh, verses 4. Hmm, so now they lie to who? God, okay? They lie to the Holy Spirit is the same thing as lying to what? God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is called God, okay? So, in light of this, is the Holy Spirit called God? Yes, okay? So, any volunteer want to put up the next one? Or, Emily, do you want to put 
the sticker uh, or the paper next to it. Okay, go up to Uncle Eric. And then underneath the third one, uh, the far one, the Holy Spirit just taped it on. Okay? If you need your parents to. Okay, good. Yay, okay? So, is this conclusive already that he, he, they're the member of the Trinity? I would say yes, okay? Okay? If they're called God, they are what? God, okay? So now let's go to the second part. Uh, second proof is not, this I think is already uh, sufficient. But scripture is, shows more uh, than that, okay? By the way, uh, the outline we're going over is actually a condensation of when I went to teach overseas, where I went over eight hours of proof on the Trinity alone, okay? It was eight hours, and then the other, thir- uh, the other what's 30 minus eight? Is, uh, the other 22 is applications, or, or not applications, the relations of the member of the Trinity, that kind of thing, okay? So we could go, and even with that eight, I could feel like, man, we could even go over more, okay? Actually, I think if you really want to, we could go over 20 hours because there's so much uh, different attributes and different titles, right? The titles, the part is the most proof of God. It's like, whoa, each one, right? For instance, Alpha and Omega or what? The beginning and the end, right? That's an attribute of God from Isaiah, but yet it's used for who? Jesus Christ, okay? It's so amazing, okay? It is so, so amazing, okay? So let's go on to the next part is creator, okay? How many creator is there? There should be only... One, okay? Uh, and yet, the Bible also says there's three, creator. What is going on? This is where the Trinity is biblical. There's one God, who's that one being who's creator, and yet it's revealed there's three persons, okay? So uh, the first part I want to begin with is, so this is where we put God the Father. Originally, God, uh, I wanted God, but accidentally, I'm so used to saying the Trinity, the Father, right? Uh, we're going to show verses that only the uh, God is the creator, okay? So the first set of verses we're going to tape underneath there is really not showing the Father is God per se, but it's actually because the Father... By the way, no one ever disputes the Father is God. So when I usually deal with cultists, I never prove the Son until I first ask them, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, hey, prove to me the Father is God. And you know how many times any Jehovah Witnesses don't have verses? Because it's just, they're like, it's so given. It's so obvious. Right? And then you have to almost help them out. It's like, if he's called, if the Father's called God, is he God? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you think of a verse? Oh. Right, because the watchtower don't train them that way. Then you go, okay, Ephesians 1, 3. Okay, is that that? They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, they, well, what about, if that's the case, what about John twenty twenty eight? Oh, no, no, no. So then when they reject the proof of the Son, I always go back, okay, then the Father is not God. The same reasoning you have, uh, that you reject the evidential value, the same argument you have, now I'm turning back against the Father. So the power, the Trinity argument for the Trinity, I would say to them is this, it's not complex, or, oh, it's so complex, you're making it complicated. I said, no, my argument is so powerful is this, if you reject the Son and Holy Spirit as God, my argument is so powerful, you have to reject God the Father as God too. This is how bad your argument is. But if you set the proof of the standard of the Father as God, that's the same way I prove the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Called God, called God, God. If they start taking down the part that says called God the Son, then I'll start taking it down from God the Father too and the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So you never ever what? You always want to be presuppositional in your what? Apologetics, right? You want to go after, why go for capillaries when you go for the jugular? Amen? Warfighters, yes? Amen, okay. Why go to the capillaries if you could go for the, what? Jugular, okay? So the next part is creator. Turn with me to Psalm 95, verses 5 to 7. Psalm 95, verses 5 to 7. Could I have Nancy read verses 5? Abigail read verses 6 in big girl voice. And Victor, read me 7 in big, in big boy voice. Is that okay? 
verses 5, verses 6, verses 7. Psalm 95, verses 5 through 7. Oh, is that it for verse 7? Oh, is, is that it for verse 7? Oh, yeah, today you hear his voice. Okay, good. I just want to make sure, okay? So you see in these verses... By the way, is, there, is this a song? Is there a song on this? Okay. When you guys were reading this, did you guys, anyone feel like singing? Yes. Okay. Do you guys ever, this, do you guys ever have this when someone asks you, Hey, what's the alphabet? You already start singing, right? <laughs> With that, okay? To the lyrics of what? Twinkle, twinkle, little star, for some reason, okay? So, um, here in the context, in verse 3, we clearly see this is talking about God. It says, The Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, okay? Then, verses 5 and 6, the passage we're looking at, is telling us the reason. One of the reasons why God of the Bible is a great God is because He's a, what? Creator, Okay? Verse 5 tells us he's created because he made the what? Sea and what? Sea and land. Okay. Ha- Abigail, are you supposed to be playing with donkey right now? Could you put him back? Okay. So verses 5 and 6, okay. Uh, so verses 5, I mean, uh, tells us he created the sea and land. Then verses 6, is he called our maker? Yeah. Showing he's the maker of what? Mankind. It's not just sea and land. But he's also creator of man, okay? And verses 6 is also a call to worship. And the reason why we're called to worship is, by the way, uh, we're called to worship because he has made what? Us. Because it says, our God, uh, before the Lord, our maker, okay? So the creator definitely should be worshipped, yes? This verse makes it clear, he should be worshipped. And yet, elsewhere in the Bible, who should we worship? Or let me say this, who should we not worship according to the Bible? Anything that is not what? Anything and anyone that is not God. God, okay? So the only one we're called to worship is what? God, okay? Anyone or anything else that is not God should not be worshipped. And yet here, your creator is worshipped, which means that the creator is who? Is God, okay? Is God, okay? So there's only one creator. God himself is the creator, okay? Let's make this very clear. Whoever the creator is must be what? Divine, okay? Uh, must be God, okay? So then the next question, uh, so I guess we could tape under God the Father or, or under God, uh, one that is God. Any volunteer uh, want to put, um, Hannah, why don't you put uh, Creator? Hannah, would you be able to? Oh, don't be so rough with the paper. Uh, maybe underneath, yeah, is that okay? Gently, gently pull. Let me get my steps in. <laughs> yes, right there. Okay? Good. Okay. Okay, so is he, uh, is, uh, so God alone is creator, okay? Then the next question is this. Is the Son involved in creation also as well? 
Is he involved in creation as well? Yes, he is. Okay. Let's, uh, any verses you guys could think of? Turn with me. John 1.1. 1, 1. Okay. <laughs> when we turn to John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, is Emily able to, not yet, right? Okay. Uh, ben Chung. Big boy voice. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. This verse should be uh, clearly that Jesus Christ is what? God. When you guys say John 1, 1, you really mean John 1, 3. Because John 1, 1, clear, show he's what? Pre-existing before creation. He's always been with God. John 1, 3 says what? Uh, Eric, would you be able to read John 1, 3? All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay. Notice this verse, by the way. It's very clear that this person is talking about Logos is Christ. Because in verses 14, it makes it very, very clear. That, yeah, he came in the flesh, that kind of thing. He tabernacled literally in the Greek with us, okay? But here in John 1, 3, notice two things is described about Jesus as creator. Number one, all things came into being through him. That means all created things and creatures is created by who? By Jesus, okay? So it's stated positively that all things created into being. That means including, does that include you and I? Yeah. He made you and I. Therefore, he must be what? Uh, with the, then it's also stated not only in a positive way just in case you think all doesn't mean all here because sometimes all you guys realize sometimes all does not always mean all you guys know that it could be used for many uh, categories of things and then sometimes it means everything without exception okay just to let you guys know the Greek word use of all how do we know that is because uh, remember the passage Paul says all things are lawful do you guys remember that does that mean everything is lawful like there's no exception nothing is sin no it means there's all categories of things right there's things that are permitted in all spheres of life. But that doesn't mean every single thing without exception. So then the question you might ask is this, oh, I wonder all things, is there any exception of created things? Then we know it is, here all means all in the sense of what? No exception because the next verse is stated negatively, okay? Uh, 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 the second half says, and apart from him, nothing came into being. That has come into being, okay? So the positive and negative way of statement is to indicate the totality of all of creation is created by who? Jesus. So the all means our English all. Everything, no exception. Okay? Everything, no exception. Because the last part, the second part of this verse says what? Negatively, nothing is an exception of Him being crea uh, created by who? Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, is this the only verse? No. Look with me. Scroll down. Seven verses later, John 1.10. Anthony, if you'd be able to read John 1.10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Okay. So here, seven verses later, we see a restatement of truth that Christ is the creator. But in the context of Jesus Christ, the tragedy, right? The tragedy that he's the creator of all things, as it says here earlier, that he was, the world was made through him, and yet the world, what? Rejected him. Did not know him in a relationship, salvific way. Okay. Uh, so uh, here and then if you guys could turn with me also as well to Colossians 1.16 Caleb would you be able to read Colossians 1.16 big boy voice One. 
He has Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay. Yeah, so here we see in uh, this verse, okay, Colossians 1.16, that again, Jesus Christ is what? Created what? What did he create according to this verse? He's created, all things were created by him, both in heaven and on earth, okay? Even invisible things, okay? Even invisible things, as it says, and visible one, right? They all have been created by who? Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus Christ. So, if we saw earlier from the verse, from Psalm, uh, from the Psalm earlier, that only person that is creator is God alone, and He should be worshipped. And Jesus Christ is what? Created. Is He God, therefore? Yes, okay. So, could I have the next one is uh, Rebecca? Would you be able to get uh, tape next to the sun? Uh, another sheet uh, with Creator. Is is Timothy able to? Would you guys want him to put it up too? Do you want him to put a sticker on the wall? Maybe not now. Okay, yeah, <laughs> like later. Uh, Rebecca, would you be able to put it up? Okay, underneath the sun, the second row. Okay, or second, second column, second row. Okay, it's like battleship. Connect <laughs> four. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, so then we go on to the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit also our creator? Is the Holy Spirit also a creator? Okay. By the way, there's a lot more verses uh, on Jesus Christ's creator, but for the sake of time, we're going to go to the Spirit is creator. Okay. Uh, I want to first show you that... Uh, I want to just first show you that the Holy Spirit was there during creation. That he, obviously He has to exist before creation in order for Him to create. Turn with me real quick to Genesis 1-2. Okay. Genesis 1-2. I don't have time to go over this, but if we were going to a whole survey of all the verses of the Trinity is true, as what taught in East Asia, one of the interesting thing is also, uh, the, actually the Holy Spirit is mentioned more in the Old Testament than even the Son. Okay? It blows my mind away. Okay? The divine member of the Trinity, Holy Spirit is actually mentioned more times than even the Son. Which is pretty incredible. Not often what we often think about statistically. Okay, The first reference is Genesis 1-2. I think this is... Some people say it's not the Holy Spirit. But I think it is. Because I actually think... Everything that's in the Old Testament... The seed is already, pla- is already there. In the first three chapters of Genesis. I think there's already hints of the Trinity. There's a hints of the inner... Uh, multiple plurality within the Godhead. Right? There's already hints of the Gospel. There's already a biblical view of sin. All of that is already there in, 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 in incipient form, okay? In a nutshell there, okay? One of it is here, Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit was uh, present during God's creation. Could I have Jeannie read Genesis 1-2 for us? Okay, the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, okay? Here in the second verse, before any creatures was formed, there's already what? The Spirit of God. By the way, this form hovering over, um, 
is is not what wind does, okay? It's it's only what people do. All the verses you ever see it involves animals and persons, okay? Uh, which I think is one of the reasons why I think the spirit here is not talking about an abstract thing like you know a force, you know like a shower mist or like electricity, okay? It's actually a person, okay? Because in the English you might say hover, okay? Anything could hover, right? Oh, I have a hovercraft. This is not what it's like. It's always used in terms of what a person does, okay? And also used. the other one is actually eagles, like they're hovering, waiting for what? Food or something like that, right? Okay, so Holy Spirit now is involved with creation. Turn with me to Psalms 104. Psalm 104, verses 30. Okay, Julie, would you be able to read Psalm 104, verses 30? Okay, Psalm 104, verses 30. So we already see the Holy Spirit existed before creation and during creation. Now we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is actually a participant of the divine act of creation. Psalm 104, verses 30. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the, of, of the ground. Okay. Psalm 4 in context is actually a psalm praising God for creation. Okay. Psalm 104, if you look at it, is really the theme of creation. Okay. It's really a theme of creation. I have a friend in seminary, when he went to do his doctoral degree, he actually was looking at Psalm 104, uh, and also his uh, contribution to the discussion about uh, the creation debate, okay? So Psalm 104 is a creation psalm. And here it shows who. Who did God send forth to create things? The Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit. We see God's Spirit goes forth and is able to create living creatures, okay? And attributes of creating life is that of God. So this verse shows that the Spirit must be God, okay? Turn with me also as well to Job. So if you're next to uh, Psalm, turn with me now to Job, which is to the left, okay? The bo uh, book before Psalm is Job. Turn with me to Job 33 verse 4. Again, Job 33 verse what? 4, okay? When we turn there, uh, are we at Noel? Okay, uh, Noel, uh, Job 33 verse 4. Job? Uh, yeah, Job, J-O-B. 33 verse 4. The Spirit of God has me and the breath of the Almighty. Yeah, okay. Psalm 33 verse 4. Uh, by the way, the word breath here is actually uh, in Hebrew is rock, which is actually spirit, okay? Uh, when it says here, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, uh, I think that has made me is very clear and then when it says breath I want to emphasize this is not some impersonal thing that God breathed out some electricity some force therefore it happens but this is actually the same word as spirit okay the spirit of the almighty I would translate gives me life so who gives us life it is the spirit and specifically it is what God the Holy Spirit Give, created us life okay how do we know this because the first line this is a parallelism okay this synonymous statement. The first line is synonymous with the second, okay? First line says, is the Spirit of God made me, created me. And how did He create us? By actually, what? Uh, the breath of God has given me life. That is, the Holy Spirit has given us life. So, did the uh, Holy Spirit create things? Yes. And not only the Holy Spirit created things, but also created living things, and also created living beings called what? Human beings, okay? So, could we, uh, looking at that, up there, could we put creator under 
as an attribute of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And remember, the only person that has this divine characteristics of Creator is God Himself, which shows that the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? So, do you guys want Timothy to put it up there, or preferably not? Sure, we can try. Okay. Okay. So, give a paper. If it's a little crumbly, it's okay. I think we have extra paper just in case. Jimmy, in context, Elihu says this. Yeah. Is he trustworthy? Yeah, okay. That's a good question. Okay, we'll wait we'll, to respond back. Okay, with that. We valued the 10. Good, yay. Victory parade, yay. Okay. okay. So, if you guys heard uh, Caleb had a good question, and I'm going to repeat it. Caleb was saying, in the context, because remember, we must always pay attention to context. This is Elihu that's speaking. Could we properly extrapolate that this is Elihu speaking truth? And my answer is yes, okay? Do you guys ever have this when you guys read the book of Job? Anyone ever had this before when you're reading this? It was like, what? Why is it all the preachers always say Job's friend were not right? But then when you read it, you're like, hey, they're actually very, very biblical. And I actually think the lesson of Job is this. Among Job's friend. Job's friends are very biblical. The question is, is they're applying the right truth to the right context. Does that make sense? Job is really a lesson. Now, because some of the things where it says, hey, if you're evil, you deserve to be punished. Is that biblical? Yeah, it's taught all over Psalms, right? It's taught over from Genesis that if you sin, what? Proverbs say the way of a sinner is hard. So it is true, but it's the wrong application. It doesn't mean if God's going to punish sin, that does not mean that for anyone that suffers is, is because of God's punishing them for their sin. Does that make sense? There's other verses that emphasize what? Sometimes God allows His discipline, not always punishment. Sometimes God allows even also as well, even if there's nothing ungodly about them, is the reason why God, God does this for their sanctification. Does that make sense? And sometimes it's for God's glory. So what he's trying to say is this, that what he's trying to say is it's truth, but it's incomplete truth. You cannot totalize everything is, must be only one thing. So that's why you need the whole counsel of God's word. So does that make sense? Uh, why I would say it is true. It is true God does uh, punish sin at times. But that doesn't mean every time you suffer, it's, then it's a wrong extrapolation, right? Uh, in, in logic, it's a, uh, you're making a logical fallacy of saying, okay, if this is true, it's not saying every instance because there's other factors also as well. Does that make sense? It's almost the same thing like if your car has problems. Let's just say it's because you never uh, put engine oil in your car. That's something I need to do, right? But is, is that, would it be crazy? Wouldn't you say it's pretty crazy if you say, if someone comes over and say, oh, I have a car problem, and I come over and say, oh, I know your car problem. I have the same thing. It's because you didn't put engine oil. Is that the case? No, right? When we identify that, we'll be saying, oh, you know what? This is where you actually, uh, you globalize one truth to save for everything, right? Whereas the reality is there might be multiple things that's going on. Does that make sense uh, of what it is? So as the same scenario, what the book of Job is this, is to say we do not know fully the scrutiny of God's plan for everybody, okay? Uh, with these incidents. Uh, I know I always give the analogy of let's just say three persons involved in a car accident. Let's just say someone's involved in a car accident and all three people had to go to the hospital and all three people broke their arm, their left arm. Okay? Now you would say, whoa, what an interesting coincidence. But yet God's purpose is very different for each. One person is what? God is punishing them for their sin. He's not a believer. Second person is what? God's drawing them closer. 
And a third person is, boom, he has broke arm and therefore he turns to God. That's part of his testimony of how he came to know God. Three different purposes, inscrutable. That is, you cannot just look at it by itself, the physical act. But yet there's three different, what? Purpose God has. Even though the outcome physically is the same, right? One is punishment, one might be uh, for sanctification, and one is what? For conversion, for the glory of God. Same thing here also as well. So in that context, I would say Job is really a, a, a friend, is, a biblical understanding, is really they're applying the wrong truths. Uh, it's a misapplication of sometimes right truths. And Elihu is actually one of the more solid of his friends, right, with that, okay? This is towards the end of Job. He's finally speaking up, okay? So in light of this, I would say it's right extrapolation because this is also consistent with other teaching elsewhere as we saw in Psalm 104, verses 36, okay? Very good question, okay? Very good, iron sharpening iron, okay? Let's go on now to uh, the next part. Uh, God is all present, okay? Oh man, we're gonna pick up the pace a little bit, okay? Only God could be all present, okay? Yes? Because we are created being, we cannot be present ever. So we're just going to put that up already over there, okay? Because what? Psalm 139. Yes, we all know Psalm 139. Okay, so let's get a uh, paper up there. And then uh, Rebecca, if you'd be able to put that up. Or who, who, whose turn? Rebecca. Rebecca, okay? So we're going to put it under God the Father, okay? Or God, okay? Psalm 139 makes that very clear. All the different omni attributes are there, okay? So underneath God the Father, third row, okay? Underneath Creator, we'll put one there. Thank you, okay? Because we are putting there, the reason why, girls, is what? God is all present everywhere, right? That's why we could pray to Him, right? All, etc., okay? So now we're going to see, is, the, is Jesus Christ, is He all present everywhere? Turn with me to 1 John 1.3. 1 John 1.3, let's turn over there. Where do we stop at? Uh, Rebecca, is it Rebecca, sir? Uh, Abigail? Oh, yeah, okay. Abigail, then, uh, 1 John 1.3. Would you be able to read that? First John 1 John 1.3 Now we're going to see the Holy uh, Jesus Christ in me. have fellowship with God the Father anywhere okay by the way Paul is writing uh, no no what I'm saying Paul John is writing this to the church of Ephesus okay he's not physically there with them and it says we that is all believers could have fellowship with him anywhere okay so this shows first John 1 3 shows the father is all present and also the son okay and there therefore this shows this is God in light of Psalm 139 these are the exclusive attribute of God okay so let's have uh, Abigail could you tape up uh, all present under the sun. And why we're doing this is because why? The sun is all present, okay? Have you ever thought about the reason why we could pray to Jesus Christ? It has to be He is what? God. Because He could be all present what? Everywhere, okay? Okay? In fact, remember Emmanuel? is one of His name in Matthew 1. It means what? God is what? 
with us. Okay? And in Matthew 28, the, last, the beginning of Matthew and the end of Matthew is what? It's about Jesus Christ is all everywhere. Because Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is the great what? Commission. Which most people is the great omission, right? Because they don't live that out. But to encourage us is what does, the Holy, what does Jesus Christ say? And lo, I am what? With you. Okay? He's all present. Is the Holy Spirit also all present? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Okay? 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Uh, Victor, would you be able to read that? Yeah, so here we see the Holy Spirit is able, you could have fellowship anywhere, anytime, okay? Emily, would, Emily, would you be able to put up the sticker, uh, the paper next to, under Holy Spirit, the next one? Thank you, Emily. That's because the Holy Spirit is God, okay? Uh, Emily, okay? Yeah, because He is present anywhere. You could always what? He could always minister to you, okay? But the Holy Spirit's ministry include what? Convicting of sin, right? Drawing people to know Him. And, and He's working in that. Is that true for all believers? Yeah, which means He has to be all what? Present, okay? We presuppose that without even thinking about it. But sometimes we need to take a step back and say, yes, He must be God, okay? Now we're going to pick up the pace a lot faster, okay? So the fourth part is why we know is the power of resurrection. Let me ask you guys a trick question. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He died and three days later what happened to him? Rose from the dead. Question, trick question here. Who raised him up from the dead? All at once. One, two, three. Trinity. Good, okay? Because we would say God. But who specifically uh, raised him from the dead, okay? First and foremost, we want to see that it's very clear the Bible says the only one that has the power of giving life is who? God, okay? Deuteronomy 32.39. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32.39. Okay? Uh, let me rephrase this. Deuteronomy 32 verse 29. Uh, Wendy, would you be able to read Deuteronomy 32.29? Okay? Deuteronomy 32 verses 29. Okay? If yeah. only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their... Yeah. So there's... Uh, Deuteronomy 32? 29? Is that... Did I write the wrong verse? Mm-hmm. I probably did. Okay. You know, I wrote the wrong verse. Okay, let's turn to 1 Samuel 2.6. 1 Samuel 2.6. This is a good... This is why it's always good to list more verses than what you teach. Uh, 1 Samuel 2.6. Uh, Wendy, would you be able to read that again? I'm so sorry. By the way, this is our last point, Okay. First Samuel two six. Okay. So. Oh, verse thirty nine for Psalm thirty two. Oh, okay, I missed. Oh, wrote oh yeah, yeah, it's thirty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Sorry, I misread it. I saw. Yeah, it's thirty nine. Thank you so much. Okay. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. 
Okay, good, yeah. So only, uh, I like First Samuel 2.6 even more because it shows what? He could give life and raise, right? With that. So only God, okay? So then when it comes to the resurrection, if anyone resurrected him, it has only to be someone that's divine. That is, is God, okay? So who raised him up from the dead? Turn to Galatians 1.1. Galatians 1.1. Galatians 1.1. Ben Chong, would you be able to read that? Mm, did you see? God the Father is the one who raised him from the what? Dead, okay? Who do we stop with now? Uh, okay. Abigail, could you put up the... Uh, or Timothy, yeah, let's have Timothy. Okay, that's okay. It's okay. No pressure. Yay! Never have TCAC had so much entertainment in the middle of preaching. Okay, very good, okay? So, the father, yay, okay? Yay, he's going victory parade, okay? So, to, it, does that blow your mind? I think we take it for granted, right? The father? But let me ask this. Is this the only person that rose Jesus from the dead? No. Do you think the Son... Is there verses that shows that the, Holy, that the Son Himself could raise Himself from the dead? Yes. Yes, okay? There is a doctrine called extra Calvinisticum, okay? Say this after me. Extra? Extra. Calvinisticum, okay? I know, it's Latin, okay? Okay? The extra Calvinisticum is something that uh, I like to tease... What's his name? Ben Wartz, because he's a Lutheran. The reason why you, the, word, the person that invented it were actually Lutherans. Because they were like, hey, you reform guys, you guys are weird. Because they believe in the Lord's Supper is what? Who's that in there? They believe literally the Lord's Supper is what? Is, yeah, right? Because it was left over from their Catholicism, right? So then uh, reformed guys started coming over and saying, hey, no, you're, you know, God is more than just there, okay? And, you know, there's some part outside of God, okay? Because if Jesus Christ could raise himself from the dead, that means what? He's more than what? In his humanity, right? He's more than his humanity. Because while Jesus Christ was dead physically, was he still holding the world together? Yeah, that's his divine part, okay? So the other part is also even the raising from the dead. Because there's usually what? Someone's dead is dead. You can't raise yourself from the dead. Unless you have a biblical definition of dead is what? Sleeping. The body is separated from the body, I mean. And also what? He's more than a human being also as well, okay? So extra Calvinistic ministry, but that's a side point, sidebar of history. Turn with me real quick to John chapter... Oh man, we're only going to look at one verse, okay? There's more than one verse that shows the Son uh, re- resurrecting Himself, but John 10, 1, 18, I think it's very clear. I'm going to read that out loud. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. The commandment I receive from the Father, okay? In the context, Jesus Christ is saying He's a good shepherd. In verses 11, he's saying he's going to die for his what? Sheep. So he's clearly talking about death. He says he could lay down his life, and what happened? He could pick it what? Up also as well. He could resurrect himself, okay? And if he could give himself life, does that show he is also God? Remember, that's an exclusive attribute of God, giving life. Therefore, he must be God, okay? So Hannah, could you be able to get a paper and put it next to the sun? Okay, the second... Fourth row, second, no, no, 
Yeah, four for a second column. What verse was that? That was John 10. 18, okay? 18. Okay, if you're taking verses, other verses, John 2, 19, 2, 22 also as well. But we're not going to look there for the sake of time, okay? Okay, put it underneath the sun. Uh, underneath the sun, okay? For the sake of time, let's turn now. Thank you so much for your ministry of Vanna White. Let's turn now to the Holy Spirit, okay? Romans 8, 11. Romans 8, 11. Let's turn to Romans 8, 11. Uh, who do we left off with? Eric, would you, did, I, did you already read? Yes. Okay. Anthony, Romans 8, 11, okay? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay. So, it is Romans 8, 11 is what? Who, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead according to this verse? The Holy Spirit. That is incredible. Okay? That is incredible. How many of us have actually stopped and realized before this that the Holy Spirit is the one that resurrected Jesus Christ? Did anyone realize that before? Had this thing? And even if you did, how many of us often think about it? Because at least for me, most of my day-to-day life, I often think of what? Oh, it's God that raised Him from the dead. Mm-hmm. Technically true. But do you realize most of us have a very one-dimensional view of God? We forget that God is three-dimensional in a sense of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? And that makes it, at least for me, alive to realize, whoa, if He's really all-present, if He's the creator of life, if all this is true. And by the way, you might ask the mechanics of how it works. I actually think there's another doctrine in church history is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in each other also as well. There's verses where the Father's in the Son. There's verses where the Son is in the Father. Right? There's, you know, they're, they're in each other. They're interabiding with one another. Okay? And that's actually going to have really deep implication for our last session, which is what? The unity of God has implication for us also as well. Okay? Let us stop at this point.